And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. That means uh, Danny Ratliff will be joining me this morning to talk about is a soft landing coming, right? That's the no recession, recession scenario. You know, that's the big question. That's the big debate right now going into 2024, um, whether or not we're going to have a recession. A lot of indicators, of course, uh, suggest we will, right? Leading economic indicators, consumer confidence, certainly uh, quite a few others. Yield curve inversions uh, certainly suggest that a recession is likely next year, but there's other indicators starting to show signs of improvement, like the ISM manufacturing, uh, sorry, services index yesterday, you know, remaining in expansionary territory. So, you know, are we going to have a recession or not? It's easy to jump into the camp that, yeah, we're definitely going to have one uh, because of the Fed rate hikes, etc. But again, we have to go back to the fact that we just have a lot of money sloshing around the economy. Just there, there, there. <laughs> there's there's a word for it I can't use on the, on the radio, <laughs> but it's a bleep ton of it. It's, a, it's just a lot of it. <laughs> it's floating around out there. So, you know, but, but this is the big debate going into next year because it has a lot to do with what earnings are going to look like next year. Expectations right now, $220 a share for earnings by the end of 2024. Uh, that's a, a fairly you know, significant advance in earnings per share between now and next year. Um, and that's going to require, as we've said before, economic growth. You've got to have economic activity to generate the revenue, right? You and I have to go out. We've got to buy stuff. We've got to spend money. We've got to do things in the economy. That's what generates the, the revenue. We've got to go out and buy a new iPhone, right? So Apple makes their revenue. Um, and so if you don't have strong economic growth next year, right, if you're expecting a recession, you can't have those earnings. If you can't have those earnings, as we talked about yesterday uh, here on the show, as we went through the, the article yesterday, you know, these expectations for new record highs in the markets by next year becomes a bit more challenging. So, again, you know, just a lot rides on whether or not the economy can avoid a recession or not. That's going to be the big question. The other side of this, and one thing we have to consider, is that maybe we don't have a recession next year. What if it's the year after, Right. So timing is also a very important factor in all of this equation. And, and so this is why you know, we've talked so much this year, uh, particularly over the last several months, about you know, biases and you know, probabilities versus po uh, possibilities, you know, not getting wrapped up into narratives. Because again, you know, as, we, as, as, as we've talked about before, there's all these narratives floating around, the death of the dollar, and then the dollar rally strongly, right? And then there's this other narrative about, you know, whatever it is. And so we all get wrapped up in these narratives and that has to explain why something's happening. And again, you know, things change. Um, you know, just a couple of months ago in October, everybody was extremely bearish. Now everybody's extremely bullish. In a month, we had a, a, a massive change from bullishness to, uh, sorry, from bearishness to bullishness in investor sentiment. Right. In just a month, everybody went from basically being in the bunker to being on top of the mountain. Right. And so, again, that's contrarian signal suggests that markets are going to have a bit of a correction here. But, you know, those are the those are the scenarios that we have to deal with. And this is why it's made it's made navigating the market so incredibly difficult this year. And, and I get a lot of emails from people just making, you know, big investment mistakes. 
Um, good example was I had an email uh, yesterday about 401k plan. It's like, I don't like my 401k plan. There's just some, you know, just a handful of choices in my 401k plan. You know, what can I do with it? Um, don't worry about that, right? Your 401k plan, especially if you're in your 30s, right? If you're in your 30s or even your early 40s, your 401k plan, just invest into the market, right? That's your retirement money. That's going to be that you're, you're going to be investing for another 20, 25 years. Worry less about the market and, and worry more about your savings rate. Make sure you're maximizing that 401k plan every year. Now, if you're in your 50s and you're getting, you're starting to, you know, like me, uh, starting to head towards that retirement, you know, kind of situation at some point, risk management now becomes much more important. I've, you know, you've built your nest egg, you've got your nest egg built, right? You've, you've done a good job of saving, hopefully up to this point. And now you've got to protect what you have. And so this is something Danny and I are going to talk a bit more uh, about this morning. But, you know, this is something that you have to, to, you know, kind of deal with is the different phases of life relative to where, you know, where the markets are. And again, you know, if you're young, if you're in your 20s, worry a lot less about, you know, these narratives that are out there because 99% of those narratives aren't ever going to come true. That's just the way things work. And you have lots of time on your side. If you're closer to retirement, still forget the narratives because most of the narratives are wrong, but focus more on risk management because that's you've got limited time to make up for a downturn in the markets. And so time and time is important. You hear a lot of conversations about time in the market. It's true. The problem is, is that you may not have the time you need, right? And that's why investment strategies have to be different over time. And like I said, Danny and I are going to talk more about that this morning as we talk about, you know, the outlook for a recession. What's the indicators telling us? Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. But here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Um, yesterday, of course, uh, market slopped around a bit yesterday again. And, you know, this has been really kind of the, 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 the status over the last couple of weeks. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we said that this market rally was getting very extended and that we were going to have a correction probably in the first couple of weeks of December. Well, here we are. And, the, you know, a correction can also be a consolidation, as we talked about. Markets can just kind of go sideways for a while, work off some of that overbought condition. That's really what's been going on here. Now, we haven't worked off much of the overbought condition because the market has, has yes, been trading sideways. But it's been a very, very tight range. So we've been unable to work off that overbought condition. So we've got more work to do here. Uh, but yesterday, again, you know, the markets just kind of continue within this range. Really have not been able to break out of this range at all here over the last, you know, really kind of the last 10 trading days. And that's okay. That's kind of part and parcel for how markets act. And particularly at this time of the year, we had a lot, we had near record amount of, of a four-week average of stock buybacks that, that started uh, right here at the, at the beginning of November, that's really been the big contributor to this rally has been these stock buybacks that is, that's been going on. Now, the stock buyback window closes Friday. So after Friday, this big lift to the market is going to, to, to lose one of its major drivers, which has been those stock buybacks. Now, having said that, though, nonetheless here, the markets are still very elevated. We're still very close to a sell signal. Didn't quite trigger it yesterday. There was just enough buying yesterday to keep the, the, the sell signal from triggering, but we are very, very close to it. So really any type of, 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 of downturn today. So markets are looking to open up a little bit this morning. Not surprising because we've had these last couple of days of chop. 
Um, but it, whether or not the markets can hold on to those gains today is going to be important. You know, if we open up and then sell off during the day, that's going to continue to weigh on the signal. But we're very close to triggering the sell signal. Again, it's just hanging in there by a thread right now. Considering how elevated that signal too is, is that yes, you know, the markets could try to make one more last kind of hoorah here. We'll see uh, again. But once we get past this week, then the next week or so, volume is going to dry up markedly and buybacks go away. So, so again, you know, there's the risk here of still a, a bit of a correction. Markets are still extended well above their 50-day moving average. We're close to a sell signal. Volume is declining here. And again, you're about to lose a driver. So, so again, just from a risk management standpoint, continue to be a little bit cautious about exposure here. As we talked about last, yesterday, you know, great time to do some tax loss harvesting, uh, you know, take out uh, uh, positions in your portfolio, reduce, reduce overweight positions, take profits, those type of things. Great time to do that. Even if the market doesn't correct and we just consolidate here for another couple of weeks before the end of the year, get that in, before that year end rally, that will still work off some of that condition if we just continue to grind sideways, which is a possibility. And that'll let these moving averages catch up, et cetera. So again, just be cautious here. Don't be a little bit, you know, don't get too overly excited. Markets are still kind of in this work off process after this very big run. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back from the break, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff. We'll talk about investing, markets, recession, all that's more coming up right here on The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff joining me, of course, uh, here to talk a little bit about a couple of things uh, this morning. And, and one, this we'll start with this kind of a, this idea of, of soft landing, recession, recession, you know, no recession. This is this is the, the big debate. And the reason this is such an important debate, and let me just tell you right up front, neither Danny or I know the answer, right? <laughs> right. So we don't know. Nobody knows whether or not the economy will be in a recession this year. There's certainly lots of indicators that suggest it will. There's also other indicators that suggest it won't. Um, and this is why navigating markets, A, has been difficult over the last year and will continue to be difficult next year as well. But it's the the importance of you know the outcome will have a lot to do with how markets perform. But it's also important not to get narratives out of out of whack with what markets will actually do. And again, this is the big problem for investors is they they get kind of wrapped up into a narrative and they go, oh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I've got to just put all my money into this, and because this is going to happen for sure, there's no way around it. And then it doesn't happen. And then, you know, you've missed, you know, the move in the market or whatever it is. So, you know, this is the big challenge. Um, and this is this is the part about risk management and keeping, a, you know, keeping a focus on things that are happening, but not letting that override your investment goals and objectives, because, you know, there there is a process to making money and, and time is a big factor. And this is why, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about time. And, you know, different stages of life, time is very important. And it changes the way you should invest when you have 
a lot of time or have very little time. And so we'll talk about that this morning as well. Anyway, good morning, Danny. How are you? Hey, good morning. Doing great. How about you? Good. Getting ready to wrap up the year. <laughs> Seems like it just started. I, I talked a little bit about this yesterday, but I thought maybe you might want to throw your hat in the ring for for a minute, just talking about, you know, give your advisor a break and stuff that you need to be doing right now and not wait till the last, you know, three days of the year to do. Well, you know, like I, make RMD, yesterday, as I mentioned, make your R, go ahead and get your RMDs done. Yep. If you haven't done them yet. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, that's an easy one, right? I mean, we know that we're going to have to do that throughout the year, you know, by December 31st. Many people want to wait until the very end. And, you know, the problem is some of these custodians have gotten so large and so mm-hmm. busy at this time of year. It can take them a little bit longer to process things. So I highly encourage people to go ahead and get that done earlier, sooner rather than later, especially now we're into December. Um, you know, another one I think that many people put off is charitable giving. Mm-hmm. And this is really important, especially if you're looking for tax breaks. And there's a lot of different ways to do so. Um, you know, it may be donating a highly appreciated stock versus just donating cash, maybe looking to a donor advised fund or a private charitable foundation. You know, I think donor advised funds probably going to be a lot easier. And it's something you could also bundle. So if you had, uh, you know, a large uh, payout, you had deferred comp, you sold a business, this may be a way that you go ahead and put additional funds into something and you know, you're not going to donate it all. You're going to put it aside all at once, but you may not gift it all at once. And so, you know, you get the tax break for this year, but you know, you're going to use it in subsequent years. And mm-hmm. I think that's one tool that people don't use often enough. Um, and it's tough sometimes because you may say, well, I'm going to give XYZ foundation or the church X amount of money every year. So just I'm going to make up a number, 10,000 bucks. But maybe you want to put aside $50,000 to offset some, you know, some taxes. And for many people, it's really tough to part with the money, just like writing a check to the IRS. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it just depends. Do you want to do you want to donate your money to the IRS or you want to donate your money to, you know, a, a good cause? Toys for Correct. Tots is a good example. You know, yep. th- this time of the year, it's a, it's a big drive by Toys for Tots every year, this time of year. So you have your choice. You can give some money to Toys or Tots. You can give it to the IRS. It's, they're both they're both charitable organizations. They depend on your charity. So, <laughs> you know, one is just forced charity. That's the only difference. Yeah, isn't that the truth? <laughs> so, you know, those are those are some of the easy things. Now, I think you should, should also go through and check your employer benefits. Have you maxed those benefits out? Do you need to make any last oh, minute tweaks? One. Yeah. What about your HSA plan, health savings accounts? You know, we, we talk about this frequently that many people get HSAs and FSAs confused. And there's a big differentiator, right? FSAs are flexible spending accounts. You have to use that by the end of the year. Some plans allow you to use it all the way up until March. But if you don't use it, you lose it. HSAs, health savings accounts, will allow you to actually put those funds aside and let those grow. Now, you have to use them for medical expenses, but we know the numbers. We talk about the numbers. If you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know this is one of my favorite accounts. Um, You can't contribute a ton of money to it, but you don't have to use it. And so the benefit of an account like this is that it grows tax-free, but not only that, it gives you a triple tax benefit. You actually get a deduction, so it reduces your income. It allows you to grow those funds to tax-free. And then when you distribute them for medical expenses, you're not paying taxes on it. So only account in the world, triple tax benefit, utilize it if you have the ability to. Now, you have to be on a high deductible health insurance plan. If you're not on a high deductible health plan, you don't have access to it. So some of you out there, you can't even contribute to it. But if you can, make sure you're using it properly and ideally pay your medical expenses out of pocket if you can and let those funds grow. So, you know, I think these are just the, the low-hanging yeah. fruit. 
Yeah. You know, if go through, check your employer benefits, make sure you're not leaving anything out there. Make sure you're collecting everything you can from your employer and then just tying these things up before the year end. And, you know, ideally, you probably want to do it right now because you may only have one or two more pay periods mm-hmm. that you can actually utilize this. Right. And, t- you know, we talked about yesterday tax loss harvesting. This, you know, markets had a great rally. We're kind of stalling up here. If you haven't done your tax loss harvesting this year, selling your losers, go do it. Right. I mean, this yeah. is probably as good of an opportunity as you're going to get and use those to offset gains in the future. So, well, and keep in mind, so I think this is a tough one for a lot of people. Um, you know, we've had years where we've had very little that we can sell. To tax loss harvest, and you're like, oh shoot, what do you do here, right? There's not a whole lot of opportunity in a really good year, but in years where we've had like this year, for instance, where you know a, a small portion of the of the market has done really well, with the exception of that, a lot of others areas have not performed very well until this last month. This gives you that opportunity, and so you know most people get hung up. I think Lance on saying, well, I can only deduct three thousand dollars a year over what you have in capital gains. Right. That's, uh, wait, that's that, this is a huge point because I get this email all the time yep. and there's such a misunderstanding around it. So if you have losses, you can offset $3,000 of your losses. No, no, what, no, no, uh, no, no. You can offset it. You, you could have a $100,000 Well, hold on. Gain. Let me, okay. let me, fin- let me, I'm, this is the email I get, right? Okay. So, well, I can, you know, I have these losses. I can only take off $3,000 a year. It's going to take me like, you know, 20 years to offset this loss. That's not the way it works. It's, now, now explain the well. So, how it so works. you could you could have. I mean, we're just going to use big numbers here, but you could have a hundred thousand dollar gain that you've taken in something, and you could have a hundred thousand dollar loss on the other side of the ledger that you could, or let's say it's one hundred twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. You could go ahead and take that, offset that hundred thousand dollar gain with that hundred thousand dollar loss. Now you have an additional twenty thousand. You say, well, what do I do with it? Well, you're going to be able to deduct an additional three thousand on top of that. Hundred thousand that you've offset, so it'll help you in that aspect. And then that seventeen thousand, you would be able to carry forward for other years. So those losses you can carry forward indefinitely. So I've heard people say like, "Well, yeah. you know, I took this loss. I'm not really sure why I did it, or how do how do I use this in the future? I can. It'll take me my whole lifetime to exactly. you know do three thousand dollars. Like, well, no, no, no. Hang on. Right. You know, you have a gain next year. Let's say it is seventeen thousand dollars. That seventeen thousand dollars that you sold this year will help to offset that gain in yeah. future years. Now, you do have to make sure that if you're doing your own tax filing. Oh, yeah. Right? Then this is now it's like my accountant does it for me. But if you're doing your own tax filing, you got to make sure and roll that loss forward Correct. every year. And and on your, you know, be sure and carry it forward from the previous years into the current year so it doesn't fall off, you know, along the way. But yeah, you know, this is this is the big, you know, big big misnomer about losses is that, you know, it's just I can only take $3,000 a year. I won't live long enough to, you know, take that loss whatever it is. No, all you need is a year where you have a market up 20-25% and then you take gains, offset that, bring your capital gains to zero for the year and then carry over whatever balance is for for the next year or or if you sell a business or wherever you generate a capital gain, you can use those losses against that gain in the future. So it's 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 a good benefit to do some tax loss harvesting. It also will help you in the future when you need it on your taxes. No, that's exactly right. And I think that, you know, understanding how that works is extremely beneficial. Um, and and then knowing when to do it. Now the other caveat to that is you can sell something, but there's also the wash rule. And, you know, on smaller things you may not say, hey, that's not a big deal. But if you're doing it solely for the purpose of saving, you know, you know, taking that loss, we have to be careful. And so, you know, big picture, you may not want to get out of, you know, 
XYZ fund and go buy the exact same fund. You want to buy something different. You have to, you have the wash rule, you have to stay out for 30 days. So make sure you know that number, put it on your calendar, put it on your phone. I mean, they make it easy these yeah. days to kind of track, but I think that's, that's one point where you see people make that mistake as well. And you know, look, ETFs have made that so easy now because mm-hmm. like, for instance, if you sell um, uh, XLK, the, the iShares technology ETF, right? Um, you can sell that and then you can turn around and buy an ETF of technology of another ETF manufacturer the next day. And that won't violate your wash sell rule. So it's 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 gotten a lot easier with ETFs, which you can't do. And this is where you've got and what Danny's talking about. I can't sell Apple today at a loss and then buy it back tomorrow. I can't buy Apple back tomorrow. I've got to wait 31 days before I buy it back uh, to to keep that loss valid. So so again, you know, there's you know, it, it's it's not as clear cut as it used to be when it was just stocks, yeah. mutual funds have really well, but you still have to water. be careful. With but you have to be careful in ETFs because it could be some gray area or some areas yeah. where they they're subjective, where they say, "Well, this is actually the same thing." Yeah. So I always kind of advocate, "Hey, let's look in a different area for a bit or something a little bit different." Then yeah. you can circle back to that at, exactly. a, at a later date. You know, if you still like it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. Look, we didn't get to recession yet, but when we come back from the break, we'll pick up with, um, you know. Is it a recession uh, next year? Is that is that a guarantee as we head into next year or not? We'll talk about that with Danny when we come back from the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so um recession or not job data we had jolt's data out yesterday employment report is friday so again, this is what everybody's kind of looking at right now, because the employment data has been, well, just it's been good, right? It's it's uh, unemployment rate remains low. Um, Jolt's openings uh, turnover survey was weaker than expected yesterday, but still elevated. So the the question, of course, and this has been the big driver for the Federal Reserve, is, you know. They're keeping rates elevated to combat inflation. And of course, the the concern is, is that higher interest rates are going to lead to a recession ultimately. But it hasn't really shown up yet in the employment data. And this has been the one thing that the mainstream media is kind of holding on to as terms of this soft landing scenario. And again, when we talk about soft landings, by the way, we have to go back to 1995. In 1995, the Fed was hiking rates and we did not have a recession. Now, we just come out of a recession in 1991. So the Fed was hiking rates in 1995, and we didn't have a recession. And in 1998, um, you know, basically, the we had the um, long-term capital management. We had Asian contagion along the way. We had a lot of stuff that was breaking because of higher interest rates. But we had we had no recession. And then in 1998, 
the Federal Reserve started to cut rates a little bit and then began to hike rates going into 2000 as Alan Greenspan began to worry about this inflation boogie monster, and that led to the dot-com crisis. So 1995 is the target we all look back at. We say, oh, see, that's a soft landing. Well, the, the difference between today and 1995 is that yield curves were never inverted in 1995. We never had an inverted yield curve in 1995. Yield curves did not invert until 1998, and they uninverted in 2000, which is your signal for a recession. Today, we have inverted yield curves and you know, which is a, a big difference to where we were in 1995. And that, you know, these inverted yield curves historically always precede a recessionary onset when those yield curves uninvert. They haven't uninverted yet, but we're, you know, we, they will eventually. So the question is, recession, no recession. And this is, you know, the, the big driver for next year is that if the Fed can bring down inflation, keep employment strong, keep the economy going, then that should be a great scenario for stocks, right? Should, stocks should do well. Bond yields will come down. Bond prices will go up. Stock prices will go up because of lower inflation and and a still kind of you know you know a, a kind of still strong economy, right? The economy is still growing. It's not maybe maybe it's not growing at six percent, but you know it's growing at one or two percent and it's doing enough to generate earnings for companies. And this is the the kind of the bias for the outlook next year for the markets that it'll be another up year. Uh, for markets, but you know this is this is the big debate right now, Danny. Uh, you know this is this is the challenge as we head to next year: recession, no recession. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think this is difficult because you know you do look at the indicators. You know, inverted yield curve, leading economic index down for you know 19 consecutive mm -hmm. months, all really big kind of flashing yellow lights, and then you get all these prognosticators saying, "Hey, here's the forecast." And you know, I always take that with a grain of salt in the sense that you know we hear somebody who is so dead set and many times we have to be careful where the information is coming from like what are they trying to sell you you know does this guy only sell gold and is that what his portfolio is comprised of because he would have sold you gold 10 years ago <laughs> he'd have sold you gold at any time yeah. but typically the gold narrative is that hey the sky is falling this is the only place that you can be and i'm not picking on gold i'm just using that as an example but you know, there's there's many of these um, people out that they get it wrong on a regular basis, and this is difficult. And this mm -hmm. is why I think that we're kind of, you know, if if we're talking to people, like we are very nimble with how we manage money, what we do, because we do realize narratives can change. Now, there are going to be some things that you may hold higher convictions in, but overall, you need to be willing to say, hey, you know, we may be wrong. I think we're we're probably always cautiously optimistic it's yep. probably the best way i would describe that but we also know the risk out there probably more than most and are willing to make changes along the way but for many it's just hey it's always a bull market or everything's always great or it's always bad i was listening to somebody um on a podcast not long ago and he's like well i tell you what when this changes we get this recession i'm gonna turn super bullish you're gonna know it and i'm thinking like you can follow this guy i can't remember his name right now um but he's never been bullish Ever. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I don't think that's necessarily true. <laughs> um, but, you know, fear sells. And so this is where I think many people get into to problems, right? I mean, we look at the yield curve. We look at those. Just use those two as an example. Leading economic index and the yield curve. They've both gone on for longer periods of time than what they've on average done mm -hmm. before they've triggered a recession. Right. Now, we may find out that we're actually in one further down the road. Um, you know, they revise numbers. Data comes back. Things change. But right now, and, and the other difficult part about this market has been that, you know, we look at an index and most people we talk to are like, 
that's not what the return I've got, right? Unless you're purely in that index or in those big tech companies, the majority of the market has not performed very well and bonds are still down for the year. So that's where I think it's, it's difficult. So people see that. I think that people are, I think people are tired. Yep. You know, I mean, this has been a long two years in the sense of how the markets have worked, what's going on. And, you know, I think we want to, you know, put that and tie that with the economy so closely, but those two don't always go hand in hand. As much as weird as that sounds, this can remain, you know, irrational longer than we can remain rational. I probably say that on a weekly basis <laughs> because it can. And if you look at, you know, most of these people say that, you know, the sky is falling. It will inevitably, and that's what we'll remember, but we'll forget how long it took them to get to that, mm-hmm. that point. And so we have to be careful with those narratives. And I think you mentioned it last segment that, you know, you get so many people that'll just go all in on one theme and that is it all in hundred yeah. percent. I'm either all the way out of the market. I'm all the way in the market. Um, usually we do it all at the wrong times, right? We get all the way out when things are really bad. We get all the way in when things are already really good. I mean, we've had people, you know, leading up to 2020 and shoot even a little bit longer than that. We had people calling us like, Hey, I've been out of the market since 2008 or 2009 um, I need to get back in. We're like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a tough time. Let's step yeah. in slowly. Um, but, you know, we talk to people who just, it's its difficult because we get so emotionally tied. And I understand it. This is your money. It's your livelihood. It's your security. But we also have to understand how these markets work and be willing to make changes along the way. And so do we go into recession? I would think that things point that direction here at some point. Now, the question is, is it three months from now? Is it a year from now? Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody knows. I mean, well, and there's there's another argue, there's another side to this, which is that you know we could have a recession, right? And you know, and the 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 issue right now is is that when people think about recession, they think about the financial crisis, correct? Right. So if we have a recession, markets are going to go down fifty percent. And look, the normal decline for asset markets, and this was in yesterday's report on the website. If you want to go see the table. But the average declines about 33% historically during a recession. That's good. But that includes those recessions that are down 50%, right? So there's been a few of those, right? 1974, 2008, uh, the dot-com bust, we were down 50%. So you take some of those big 50 percenters. But there's a lot of recessions in there where the market's down 12, 13, 15, 18%, those type of things. And so your average turns out to be 33 but you know this is always the 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 problem with looking at averages over time. Like the average rate of return is not you don't get eight percent every year, even though that's the average. It's just we have to understand these things. And so we've been so if you look at the market where it is right now, it's exactly where it was two years ago. You've had zero returns for two years in the markets, and we've talked about this before. Is that You know, this is, you know, we talk about valuations and how you can have long periods of low returns, you know, near zero, these type of things. And we're not saying that's going to be the case, but you've had two years now. You're you're right where you were two years ago. The return of the market has been zero over two year period. And, you know, this is the important thing to look at and and to understand that we're in one of those cycles. So the, 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 the issue here, though, is that we could have a recession and because we've already been in two years of negative returns. The next decline, you know, recessionary decline might only be 10 or 15 percent, right? It, it may not be that much. It may be another year like we had in 2022 where the market's down, you know, 18 percent with dividends. You know, it's not it may not be that world falls out from underneath you. And and at the same time that you're having a recession in stocks, you're having a boomer bull market in bonds. Right. So yep. this is going to be this is this is part of that narrative problem is that. 
And in order to have one of those financial crisis types of event, you're going to need a credit-related event of some sort, right? Not just an economic slowdown. And so this is going to be, this is why it's going to be a challenge. And again, we just kind of keep coming back to be careful of these narratives. There's a lot of stuff, you know, out there right now and, and podcasts and, you know, you know, websites and stuff about, you know, how terrible it's going to be when it comes and it's going to, you know, it's just going to wipe out Americans and the way of life is going to change and you better have gold and bullets and beanie weenies, you know, maybe. But that's really one of those events that's that's on that far right tail of the bell curve that probably isn't going to happen. It'll be somewhere between a normal recession and maybe a bit more difficult recession. But that's going to be probably what we wind up dealing with. I always find it interesting or, or kind of funny, and Brent can relate to this, when when Lance is no longer the perma bear, you know, something is going on, right? Like when you on some of these these outlets, you're the most bullish or maybe even just pragmatic person out there because everybody's in their foxhole thinking that the world's <laughs> coming to an end. I know. You know, it's 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 look, I I'm very cautious about next year, right? Yeah. Um and and normally when I'm cautious, I'm the bear, right? So yeah. and now everybody's so bearish that I actually look bullish. So I know it's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. <laughs> anyway, that's how it works. All right, when we come back from the break, I want I want to talk a little bit about time. Um, because this is, and we talked, we touched on this in, in the early segment. But I get a lot of emails from people's like, you know, they watch some podcast and they're in their thirties, and you know, they're trying to figure out how to get all their money out of their four hundred one k plan to go buy gold with it. These are huge mistakes, and I want to talk about the importance of time um, when it comes to investing, and 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 how you need to navigate periods in life. And we'll come back and talk with Danny Ratliff about that as well, because that really kind of falls into financial planning. Also, don't go away. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So I get a lot of emails um, every day. Lots of emails every day. And I answer every email every day. So if you if you ever send an email and I don't respond to you, by the end of the day, I didn't get it, right? Some Something happens in cyberspace and it didn't come in. So if you never get a response to an email, either it was a stupid question, doesn't deserve a response. <laughs> I'm joking. I even answer I even answer those emails. I'll just say that was a stupid question. Um, you know, but I answer every email every day. But I get lots of emails every day. And, and, you know, hey, I get it, right? Lots of concern in the media right now. And again, you know, if you listen to, to YouTube or, you know, TikTok or whatever it is, there's just a ton of stuff out there about, you know, you know, how much, you know, what's going on in the world and it's all going to crash and, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take. And so I get these emails from people and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm 20 years old. I'm 25. I'm 28. I'm 30. I'm 32. Um, and I want to get all my money out of my 401k plan because I don't like to, all I have in my 401k plan is an example. I'm just, this is one example. All I have in my 401k plan is some basic mutual funds. I want to get it out and put it into metals or whatever it is. This is terrible. That's a terrible decision process when you're young. If I could go back when I was 20 years old and I had an access to a 401k plan when I was 20, they didn't exist when I was 20, but that's how old I am. Hold on, I'm doing the math. I think that's <laughs> yeah. a load of baloney, but... 
No, seriously. 401k plans didn't exist when I was 20. I'm just doing the math on hold. You are. Yeah, I'm 60. I'm almost six. I'm almost retired, Danny. <laughs> oh, man. You are so funny. So, you but, know, you're asking this guy for advice. He can't retire. What are y'all doing? Exactly. So, but but the, the point is, if I was 20 years old and I had something I could contribute to that would grow tax deferred for the next 30 years, just put it into an S&P index fund. There is a truth to the markets. And you hear this from the media quite often. So time in the market is very important. And that is a very true statement if you're young, right? And, and you know, if you're young and just starting out, the, the biggest way to build wealth is to save money. It doesn't even matter. if you, it Honestly, it doesn't even matter if you invest it. If you can just save money into a bank account, you'll build wealth. Now, if you can invest it smartly and, and over a long period of time, you're going to build a lot of money. And, and remember, as investors, our whole goal with investing is not to beat some random Mitch Mark index. It's to adjust our savings for the rate of inflation over time so that our purchasing power parity remains the same in 30 years. A million dollars in 1980 is not worth a million dollars today, right? So we need to make sure that million dollars in 1980 adjusted for inflation all these years and is now has the same spending power that it had back in 1980. This is the important concept. So, you know, but it's important about, about having time. And as you go, and this is where Danny's financial planning comes in when we work with clients. You don't look if you're 20 years old and you've got 50 grand saved up, awesome. Put it into an SP index fund, contribute to it every month, turn off the media, and don't look back. You don't need a financial advisor at, at that age, right? Uh, you, just, you just don't. It, just buy a low cost index fund, you're fine. Now, once you get to be 45, you know, 40, 45, you've built up a next nest egg, you know, you're heading towards 50, you've got a nest egg built up, and your time to retirement is becoming much shorter. Now it becomes important to manage risk because you can't you can't live through a big downturn in the market. You can't lose 50% of your money and then try to get it back before retirement. There's just not, a, you don't have the time. See, time is the key component here. As, as most people know, look, and, and when you talk to most people that are 20 years old, they don't have any money saved up, right? It, there's very few people I run into is like, oh, I'm 25. I've been saving for the last you know 10 years or whatever it is, and I've got 50 grand. Good for you. You're doing awesome because 99% of people your age have no money. And it makes sense, right? You know, in your 20s, you're just getting your first job. In your 30s, you're, you're buying a house and you're raising a family and sending kids to college in your early 40s. You're not saving any money, most, most likely. You don't really become a serious saver until probably your, your mid-40s or even early 50s for most people. And that's where you have to really focus on that saving for retirement. But, you know, the, the, the importance of time is very important. And, and, and so if you're young, time is on your side. Take advantage of it. If you're older, risk management becomes much more important because you don't have the ability to withstand a downturn. That's when you need financial advising. That's when you need all these type of things to help diversify risk and those type of things. Um, but, but that's the important thing here, Danny. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Okay, go ahead. Um, so I, I look back and think about my, my 20s, right? I'm in my 40s. Now, granted, I have been blessed. This is or dumb enough that I got into this right when I got out of school. Right, right. This is what I've done. Right. Um, this is what I know. I've been blessed to have a lot of really good mentors and people around me that have, uh, you know, guided me in the right direction, given me lots of good sound advice. Um, and so I think when you're young, 
you know, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the markets. Like right. you can put money in the market. You have a very long time. If you're putting a little bit in, you don't have a substantial portion of your wealth tied up because you're just creating it. Right. So at that stage, I think, you know, what you're mentioning here from an investment perspective is, yeah, hey, fun. Let's put it into the market. You're putting a little bit in. You're going to continue to do so. If the market goes down, you're going to be buying more. Fantastic. But I think where you can need the advice is like, where do you put it? How do you put it away? Um, oh, no, no. What no that's the financial options, planning yeah. side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. options are you using? Um, you know, and, and even with the funds, I think that we need to be cautious with that. And, you know, I, I talk to people who are younger as well, and they're, they're like, hey, um, you know, if I'm just going to put it into this. Well, great. Well, they may put everything into international. International could be, you know, in the dumps or going into the dumps. They may say, hey, that may not be the best place to be. Maybe we want to be over here. It doesn't mean we're not still invested. We may just be in diff differently, you know, investing differently. So, but I think the main thing with that is from a financial planning perspective, there's a lot of things that you need to do to make sure you're taken advantage of. I mean, I would encourage somebody young to say, hey, go find mentors and go find mentors in different age groups. Find somebody, if you're 20, find somebody in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, because they're all going to give you a little bit different advice because of their, yep. I mean, everybody's experiences are going to be a little bit different. Access to different types of products, markets are all different. But I think the older you get, the more people will tell you, I wish I would have done this when I was your age. Exactly. And so I think that is very, very helpful. An advisor can tell you the things that you need to be doing right now. Like, you know, we talked about in that second segment. Hey, look at your health savings account. Max that out. Don't use it like this. Are you or do you have access to a Roth IRA or 401k, excuse me? Are you using it? Here's why I would start thinking about putting some funds here. Maybe you don't put it all. Maybe you do put everything into it. Um, you know, when you're not making much money, which most people when they get out of school aren't, that's probably a great thing to do, yeah. right? Because you're not getting taxed very much that those funds you're putting in get to grow tax-free. Um, so there's a lot of small things surrounding that. But I think the time is is really crucial. And I see people make mistakes with time too, where maybe they didn't do all those things when they were younger and they're like, I'm going to retire in three years. I need to get super aggressive. Yep. And then we start talking about like, whoa, hang on. <laughs> you know, So we're making up for lost years that maybe you didn't contribute enough for you didn't do the things that you thought you should have um, to get to where you want to be. But now you're expecting the market to make it up where, you know, I may encourage you and say, hey, maybe most people don't like this. Maybe we need to pair back. Maybe you need to look at this differently. Maybe you need to fund a little bit more. Um, and, and then look at all the avenues and what's feasible. What can you actually do versus just saying, hey, I'm going to go all in. And in certain environments, yeah, great. But what happens, my, my question then is, okay, let's say you make an extra 10%. Mm -hmm. Great. Is it life-changing? Probably not. Right. What if you lose 10? What if you lose 20? What if you lose 30? And now you're going into that retirement. Is that life-changing? Now you're taking distributions. Could be. Yeah. And so that's the tough part, I think, for many people to understand. And that's why time, that's what I'm saying. Time is so important. If you don't have a lot of time to retirement, you've got to be much more focused on risk management. And, you know, I get these emails, like I said, I get these emails from from young people and, and they're like, you know, what can I do to, you know, I've got 20 grand to invest right now. And, you know, what can I put it in to make the most money? It's like, that's not investing. That's just speculating and gambling. You know, the, the first piece of advice is pay off your debt and then never use debt again other than a mortgage. Then, you know, start saving up an emergency fund. So you have six months worth of savings because once you do start investing, At you don't minimum. you don't you want don't want to have to be forced to tap into that. Right. We talk about people tapping into 401k plans, et cetera, because they don't have any money saved up at home. So save up that emergency fund, fully fund a 401k Roth account. 
uh, like Danny said. So if you're young and you've got access to a 401k Roth, fully fund that every year. That's, you know, if, if you can't fully fund your 401k every year, you need to work on your budget at home. You, well, need, to, you, mean, need, you need to focus on getting to that point. You may not be able to do it right away, but you need to focus yeah. on your budget at home and get to fully funding that 401k. Make sure your wife is doing it. If she has access to one, if she doesn't have one, she's not working uh, um, do a spousal Roth IRA. But the point is, is to start building these savings routines over time so that you're saving 30 to 40% of your income living on the balance. There's a, there's a great rule to follow if you're young. It's the 50-20-30. Spend 50% on your utilities, essentials, mortgage, those type of things. 20% is basically your living, you know, you know your, your entertainment, those type of things. 30% is savings. If you do that, and save, and to like Danny's point, HSA, 401k Roth, Roth IRAs, those type of things, you'll be great, right? Because you, you can't, you, you're saving enough money. You can't, be you can't help but be, yeah, but you can't help but be successful if you're consistently saving. Yeah, and I think if you're doing things that aren't, you know, so far outside the box, so many people look for the get rich quick schemes yeah. in there, and that's where many people get in trouble. Like, oh, shoot, you know, I lost all this. And so you got to be careful as far as how you do that as well, where we're, we're just being consistent with it. You're understanding the time. You know, I see another problem, you know, generally speaking with what people do is that we may get into a bear market or a recession, and some, a lot of people stop their contributions. It's like, no, 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 no. This is what no, I want you to continue to contribute. Now, if you've... If you've <laughs> If you've accumulated wealth, yeah, let's talk about how do we protect that. But, you know, with the remainder, we're putting funds in. I mean, there may be a time we go to cash for a bit, but we want to start buying along the way. Buy a little bit as you go. And so I think that's a struggle for many people. Mm -hmm. and, and listen, I understand a lot of you out there and many people, you can't fully fund a 401k. But go back, look at where your expenses are, what you have going on, and then back into those numbers. Find a way for you to get there because you're going to be much better off further down the road. Absolutely. All right, Danny, thanks so much. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Get by the website. Uh, Mike's latest article is out on the website, actually talking about employment uh, today as well. So, again, that's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We're there. Send your questions, comments, emails. If you need help, Danny will answer all of your financial planning questions. He's got tons of time. He really doesn't do much else around here. So send your financial planning questions to Danny. Uh, I will forward them all to him and uh, he'll answer those for you in detail, like very long, detailed explanations. He will he will help you. So for free, oh, even better. Uh, Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.